welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Ben Eves, who if you talk to any teammate he's ever played with, one of the best hockey players that they've ever played with, also one of the best guys in the locker room. And we get into that on this podcast. But Ben comes from American Hockey Royalty family. His dad, Mike Eves, very famous coach, coach of the National Team Development Program, coach for a long time in the pros and also at the University of Wisconsin where he won a national championship. Uh, his brother, Patrick, plays in the NHL as well. Uh, but Ben started his hockey career once he got a little bit older. He actually spent a year over in Finland when his dad was coaching there. Then he went on to play at Shattuck St. Mary's took that to Boston college where he's one of the top players ever at the Heights. What an awesome career he had for the BC Eagles played a couple years of pro uh, did a great job there, but dealt with a rash of injuries. And now he is in the coaching side of the game. Just a fantastic, fantastic person. What an awesome interview. But before we do get over to Ben, let's bring on another fantastic, fantastic person in a one Jeffrey Lavecchio. Jay, who what's going on today? I love that he remembered my Japanese name, Jehu Lobecchio. <laughs> Casey didn't say that. So they called him Keishi and they couldn't, they don't say V's in Japan. They say B's for V's. So my name was Jehu Lobecchio-san. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Mr. Lobecchio-san, I am doing very well today. I had a great day. Uh, got a lot of good training in with some, uh, some of my guys this morning. I worked with a young Worked with the Young Bucks last night, which I don't often do uh, anymore, but it gave me a ton of perspective and energy and just like seeing all them smiling and just happy to be in the gym. It just set me up to have a really good day today. So I'm in a good mood, bro. That's awesome, man. That's It's so funny you say that because we actually just had our first organization-wide skills night on Monday. So on Monday, we're it. doing like skills. Yeah. And so I got on the ice with our youngest teams and it is, it's like fun to be out there with them. It kind of like brings you back and they have so much energy. They love being out there. They're just kind of out there to have fun and get a little sweat. And, uh, I had a, I had a blast with them. That's for sure. Yeah. It looked honestly, like I remember watching those videos and I was like, man, it looks like you're having fun. They're having fun. And it's funny. Like, you know, for me, I, I personally don't enjoy training like very young kids as much just because like they don't understand like all these little nuances that I'm trying to teach them you know like I did it when my business was young before kind of because I had to and now I've kind of uh, separated myself to the older age groups pros college whatever Um, but whenever I have to, to to train the young guys I always wind up having the best night and the best next day because like you said it brings you back you know, it's, it's so much about fun and getting them excited and their energies up and there's no negative energy in the room. Like it is just so fun, like getting to work with those, the youngest ages. So, um, I definitely saw that on your stories you put on Instagram the other day. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And it's fun, like getting to work with everybody on the same night too, because you have, you start out with your younger kids and then you get up to your midgets at the end of the night. And, uh, I don't know, you just got to bring something different in terms of an energy level and in terms of, just the way that you kind of carry yourself out on the ice with each of the different levels. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it's good practice too, to like, 
you know, constantly be working with different ages, because like you said, you have to bring a different element to the different ages. Like if they're a year apart, maybe not so much, but if you're dealing with like, you know, I think I was working with a 10 year olds last night and then I was working with an NHL, a couple of NHL guys today. And it's like, Whoa, I got to act completely different in these two <laughs> sessions. And, you know, yeah. the last session I did last night first session this morning. Um, so I think, yeah, it's probably good for perspective. It's probably also just good to like work on sharpening your skills. It's like Steve Carell said in uh, 40 year old virgin. If you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> Is it true though? Is it true <laughs> that if you don't use it, you lose it? <laughs> Is that a serious question? <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, hey, before we get into a little bit more hockey talk, before we get over to Ben, I do have to mention. So we have a little bit of a partnership coming out in the next uh, next couple weeks here with IceHockeySystems.com, and they actually just came out with this unreal like drawing tool where you can go into their website and like draw up drills, kind of like on a whiteboard that you can send to your team and to your players and stuff. It's like very, so we're not very technologically savvy and it's very, very easy to use. Um, so basically, you know, their website, they do a lot of drill stuff. They do a lot of like kind of system hockey stuff. And our website is, is a little bit more geared towards like, you know, presentations and culture and just hockey development, education. And so it's like kind of like a very happy marriage, if that's what you want to call it, where we can provide them with some stuff. So uh, we actually just did, we shot 10 videos it called a, uh, a culture corner. So for their website, um, so it's like a hockey think tank culture corner on their website where I talk about things that are important to uh, the team culture, like accountability and goal setting and, and things like that. And then uh, we're going to do something where they're going to put some drills up on our website and in their cool, awesome way that they do it. And so just wanted to give a shout out uh, to them, icehockeysystems.com. They're a fantastic resource and um, we're very, very happy to be collaborating with them. Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. That sounds like a really cool, uh, like, is it, is it on the iPad? Is it on a computer? Like, how no, you, you can just do it on the, the computer. Well, I'm sure you can do it on both, but I did on, I did it on the computer. Very cool. That yeah. seems right up now. That seems much easier than some of the technology I've seen with creating drills and coaching plans where I'm just like, eh, I'll just demonstrate. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You guys <laughs> draw them up for the boys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So very, very excited about that. But, uh, let's get back to Ben Eves because, how about this guy? Like literally, how about this guy? This guy's a unit. He is a unit. I've been hearing about him for a few, probably five years, just about what a good guy he was. It was funny is like, and I told this to uh, Grant Frederick, one of the, one of the guys I trained, um, played at Miami of Ohio uh, this past year. He just graduated and turned pro. And, you know, he had nothing but good things to say about, about Eves. Like, like literally, he's like, he's the best guy in hockey I know. Like just over and over and over again, he said, like, I literally, I don't know where I would have been without him. Like he helped me so much in college on the ice, off the ice, mentally, physically, like so many different ways. And he's such a good person, a friend, a mentor, a coach, everything. And I had heard that from multiple people over the years before we even wanted to have him on, on the podcast. Then he comes on the podcast and I was picturing his brother with the huge beard. For some reason, I thought that's what he's going to look like. And then Ben gets on the podcast and he looks like a straight up Abercrombie model. Like, like I was like, wait, like, I don't know why I just, just assumed he would look like his brother with a massive beard, like Brent Burns is coming on. And then we got this Abercrombie model. Who's the nicest human being ever. Who's clearly passionate and was disgusting at hockey. Just seems like a great, great guy. And I totally could see just from the hour and a half combo we had with him, why all the boys love him everywhere he goes. 
Yeah, it was, uh, I, I feel the same way. I mean, literally everybody that I talk to that knows this guy is like, he's a plus, like, is there something better than a plus? Like he's literally the best person that they know from a leader, from a friend, from a hockey player too. I mean, um, you know, people talk about how unbelievable he was at hockey and then unfortunately had to deal with a rash of injuries, uh, once he turned pro and into the later years of college, but like he's top five in assists at Boston college all time. Um, just, you know, help them get to frozen fours. He won a national championship as a freshman. And then we tell an unbelievable story for him, how he scored an overtime game winning goal, basically on one leg to send BC to the frozen four in Boston in his senior year. Um, countless people that I spoke to before the interview, just like they literally could not stop glowing about him. And, and uh, it's just very, very cool to get the chance to get him on our podcast and uh, I, to be honest, man, like I think this one is going to be one of the most downloaded that we do because I think there's just so many great things that he talks about, so many things that I learned uh, throughout just hearing him talk. And I just, I just had a lot, a lot, a lot of fun in this conversation and felt like I became a better human being afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and it's, there's some guys that we have on here. I'd probably say it's most guys, honestly, because, you know, we're all pretty similar, I'd say, in the way we think and stuff like that. But like, I just wanted to like, go hang out with him after, you know, and like, yeah. and just keep talking to him, you know? And, uh, that for me is a sign of like somebody who I can learn from, like somebody I look up to somebody I like, like I would have loved to get on the ice with him and like have a guy who was as good as he was just like, teach me stuff to be better. Amen. <laughs> I, like I needed that. I, w- I wish I had a guy like that in my corner, like teaching me the little things in the gym, on the ice, like all the things, you know, and like I said, like I talked to Grant Frederick quite a bit uh, before we had him on last week and, and uh, or this week. And I just hearing the things that he was doing with guys like on the ice in practice and, and after practice, it was like so next level. And for the college game, it was so next level. It was definitely more of like a pro of all thinking. So, um, you know, he talked at the end of the podcast about he'd really like to get into pro hockey and, and stay there and work in player development and things like that. And I think that any team that scoops him up is going to be extremely lucky and happy with how their prospects start to develop uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the hockey world is lucky to have people like that. And, and uh, yeah, any team that, that snags him up, I mean, you just, again, talk to anybody that he's ever worked with. They will be like, you talk about a reference. <laughs> That's a good reference right there. Everybody talks about him in just amazing ways. So uh, we won't take up too much more of your time here. We should get over to Ben because we thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. But before we do get over to Ben, we want to thank our title sponsor, Gel Sticks. Go to gelstx.com. Use the coupon code THINKTANK for a weighted stick training aid. They're unreal. Thank you to Train Heroic, Jeff's training app, a very clean and easy to use training app with all of Jeff's workouts on it. I'm trying to use a like professional voice right now. How's it, how am I doing? I think you sound more like the guy from Wheel of Fortune or something, but I'm digging it. <laughs> Keep going. I like that show. Give me an R, Tove. Give me an R. <laughs> And finally, we want to thank all of the listeners as usual. We love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. We continue to do this podcast because we feel like we're making a difference in the hockey world. And if you can continue to share us, shoot us ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to help us spread the word. 
Uh, and, and again, you guys, the, the, one of the best parts about our week is being able to do this. And a big part of that is for the guests that we get to bring on and talk about hockey and talk about life. And I guarantee you in this hour conversation that we have with Ben, you're going to be a, a better person after hearing it. So without further ado, let's get on over to one of the best guys in hockey, Ben Eves. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, the top, what many people will say, American-born hockey players that they have seen and also one of the best guys in the, uh, in the hockey world that people have been around, Ben Eves. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm well, Topher. Uh, thank you for that introduction, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. So everybody that I spoke to before getting on this podcast try, said, try to make him uncomfortable with a lot of the nice things that you say about him because it will. So we'll, we'll try our best to try and toe that line between your awesome hockey career and, uh, and, uh, you know, trying to make you feel comfortable on the podcast as well. <laughs> All right, deal. <laughs> um, good stuff. Well, you know, usually what we do, Ben, with a lot of the people that we bring here on the podcast, just to kind of introduce you to our guests and our listeners is try to take it way back. And uh, you come from uh, an amazing hockey family and your dad, Mike Eves, is kind of like American hockey royalty. So um, just wanted to ask you to, to start, you know, you probably grew up around a professional hockey locker room. You know, you were real young when your dad was still playing and, and then eventually he was an assistant coach in, in the NHL, head coach in the AHL and so what was that like for you growing up kind of in a hockey locker room and that had to attribute to to your love of the game I think that's what it was we were just around it growing up and it, it seemed very normal to be you know playing mini sticks in the middle of the room and the guys you know after practice taking you around or going on the Zamboni with the driver and it was uh you know we were very fortunate me and my brother growing up and, and just having like just mirrors to look into the game and, and just to see how fun and how hard and how challenging the whole thing was. And um, it just seemed very, very natural for us to want to be on the ice and you're going to every game, you get to know all the players. My brother, I think he could tell you every uh, stick curve of every guy who he's ever seen play uh, when my dad was coaching. Like he just had a memory like that, but no, so fortunate people were really good to us. Uh, we moved around a lot growing up because that's part of coaching. That's just kind of how that world works. That wasn't always the easiest, but um, yeah, looking back, you know, a little older now and just, we realized, man, we just, we, we just had so many advantages and so many opportunities to, to learn, to watch and more than anything, just fall in love with the game. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, like, I think back to my childhood and, and like when I was five, six years old, my dad was coaching like peewee double a hockey. And I still remember some of the names, right. Of like the, peewee players that I was like these players are like in the NHL right now you know so <laughs> going back going back to your childhood uh with your dad coaching and stuff are there you know, like one or two guys that you kind of remember that went above and beyond with you and your brother just to kind of play with you or just kind of you know doing some cool things with you in the locker room or out on the ice and stuff that you just have fond memories of growing up yeah it was when we were a little older we were uh, in high school at Shattuck St. Mary's there in Fairbolt Minnesota and, and my dad was an assistant with the the Pittsburgh Penguins and we would fly out whenever we could just to spend time during our breaks. And uh, just Alexei Kovalev, I'm sure a lot of people still remember him. He used to, he used to stay out and play keep away with me and my brother for 15 minutes after practice and show us stuff he was doing with his stick. And he had this tiny little stick as this big man with a huge like banana hook on it. And the things he could make the puck do were just, just so cool. And he took, he took time to hang out with us. You know, we were in high school and, we could play a little bit, but we weren't, you know, we couldn't even really keep up with him in any way. And 
Uh, Tyler Wright was on that team. Ian Moran, those guys, you know, took us around and remember Tyler Wright got a hat trick one night when we were there and he gave us all hats as we're digging through the hat trick bag and, <laughs> you know, just little stuff. You just, you look around and again, we were older so we could appreciate it a lot more and kind of be starstruck a little bit when you're 15, 17 years old. And, uh, but a lot of guys were like that, but, but those three guys jump out for sure. This is a random question that I've never asked anyone. You just said the hat trick bag. Are the, like, are those the hats that people throw on the ice? Are those just gone forever? Do fans come back and get those? Do you know? I always wondered that. Well, when we were, again, it was probably the first time I've ever, ever seen one, but there were just big duffel bags of hats, probably three or four. And like, we were just digging in them. Like it was like Christmas, <laughs> like trying to pick out the coolest hat. And Hey, Tyler, can we take this one? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's great. You know? everybody's in a good mood. Everyone's getting free gear. And you know, we walk out with a couple of cool hats after a big one and a hat trick. So pretty good night awesome. for a high school kid. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Something to brag about with your buddies when you go back to school. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's really cool, man. So like Alexi Kovalev, I have to ask you about him because he, I feel like he's one of the most enigmatic people that everybody just wants to know about because he was so filthy good when he was playing um just really cool to kind of hear that he went out of his way like and was a really good guy too so that must have been fun playing keep away against him do you ever get the puck from him <laughs> never never i mean we were more scared of like you know hurting him of like tripping and like taking out his knee or something like that but again he he wanted to share the game and he was just you know big smiles and, and just it, it was just like such a treat and I mean, to this day, even in, you know, shinny or men's hockey, I won't even attempt to do some of the things he was doing, but, but you realize that when you're older, like you had the ability and you had the responsibility to try to impact the next group of kids that come up and, you know, teach them something, make sure that they, they have fun with it and they love the game. And uh, again, he might not even remember that, but like, that was so cool for me and my brother. And, you know, my brother probably played against him a handful of times in the NHL, you know, later, but, uh, but that was a nice memory when we were kids. Very cool. Very cool. Well, speaking of Alexei Kovalev being over in Europe, you did spend a year over there um, when your dad was coaching over in Finland. And, and then, you know, you spent some time out there as a professional after that. But what was that experience like as a younger kid, 14, 15 years old, you know, growing up in the U.S. and then heading over to a completely different country with a completely different hockey development system? I mean, number one, it must have been a great learning experience, but also a pretty crazy life experience as well. So what did uh, what were some of the biggest things that you learned about yourself, about the game, heading over to Finland in some of those formative 14, 15 year old years. And that's what it was. It was actually when I, when I feel like I, I had to grow up there, there was no choice. Um, I mean, it was the mid nineties and it was like AOL startup internet. So like there was no contact with your buddies, <laughs> with girls. Like it was like, you were, you literally went to Mars, you know, uh, the first day after we landed the guy, the, the team director picked me up. We went three hours North because we had training camp late August and we're doing two days. We're running, we're jumping into the freezing cold lake at 6 a.m. every morning. And it, it, as a hockey player, we couldn't have timed it any better because the way they think about the game, the way they teach the game uh, from the skill aspect to the tactical aspect, and then combining the two, um, it, it was just, it was just pure gold. We were so fortunate and it was nice that we had some ability too, so we could make friends because we were one of the better players on the team and you get more ice time and you can kind of prove yourself, especially when the coach's kid comes over and he's going to take someone's spot on the team. It's nice that 
he can play a little bit, but it was great. I mean, we were, we didn't want to leave after the nine months. We knew we had to leave uh, just for schooling reasons and other things like that. But uh, the first six months were, I, I still, you know, think it was the hardest of my life where I didn't speak their language. They spoke mine, but Finns are very shy, introverted people, except for Tommy Niemela, who I know you guys uh, have spoken <laughs> with, who's the ex- exact opposite of a Finn. Um, but they, you know, they just had a hard time expressing themselves and talking. And so no one really talked to us for the first three or four months. And um, it was lonely. It was dark. Uh, it was, you, you go through some kind of, you know, personal times and 14, 15 year old, years old is a tough age, you know, anywhere you're at, but there were some breaking points there. And, uh, you know, you need those as a person, as a player, when you, you get to that point, it's like, well, geez, am, am I done or am I going to rebound and come back up from this? And so um, hardest year of my life, but I, I still think it was the best thing that could have ever happened to us. And after that, you just kind of have the belief in your ability to just go and figure things out. And I think that's something our game can give us, which is nice. We have a lot of, a lot of younger guys around that age that listen and girls who listen to this podcast. So you talk about going through some hard times, whether it was the language barrier or just learning new systems or whatever, learning to play the game differently. Do you have any advice for any players that are around that age or going through kind of the transitional periods or tough times? I mean, that, that's a great question. I mean, my goodness, I, I was lucky to have the support of my family. Um, and, and even as you get older, like you need to lean on people at certain times and it's not weakness. It's actually, I think, a, a, like a, some show of strength to go up to someone and say, hey, like I'm hurting. Like, can you help me, please? Can I talk to you? And I had, I had one good friend over there who spoke English and I could talk to him and he didn't respond much, but he was on my team. He would listen. And like, that was good. That was a start. And then my brother, we could talk. And then eventually my parents, you know, and it was just nice to have a support staff. And if you don't have one, you got to find one. You have to find a best buddy. You got to find somebody that when you get wobbled over by life, by the game, it's like, they're going to be right there with you. Everyone wants to be your friend when you, score the goals and you're getting hats out of the hat trick bag and teams winning, but like you, you really need a good support network and, and you'll know who your true friends are when things get tough. Cause some people aren't always there there. It's when, you know, when it's convenient for them, but um, I had just enough, but mostly it was my family and like, I, I they were my crutch there. I, I needed them and um, I might need them again at some point and I'm going to lean on them. So I, I hope that people know that they don't have to do it alone and that, I think that's uh, you know, that's a, a false thing that's been kind of shown, whether it's in movies or whatever, the one man wrecking crew, like it takes a village. And uh, I think we're all going to need that village at certain points. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's, it's almost like you need the right village too, because you mentioned, and I think that's something that a lot of kids struggle with nowadays is it's almost like the quantity of friends over the quality of friends with social media and, the, you know, just wanted to have the most people on your Instagram account with the most likes and, and all that kind of stuff. When at the end of the day, three quality friends um, that you can turn to and support you, just like you were talking about, Ben, like you didn't have that many people over there, but you had the right people that can support you when needed, challenge you when needed, tell you when you're right, tell you when you're wrong, be honest with you, all that kind of stuff. And And I feel like that's a huge lesson that all kids need to learn nowadays. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have or how many people follow you or whatever. Like that's, that's like fake stuff. 
Um, the real stuff is the true friendships that you can, and it takes a long time to develop those things. You know, it takes a lot of the good times and the bad times, like you say. And uh, I agree with you so much. And it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, how just like having the right people in your corner, surrounding yourselves with the right people, it's, uh, that's what's going to get you to wherever you are in life, no matter how talented you are or less talented you are, how good you are at something, how not good you are at something, how dedicated you are, how not dedicated you are. Surround yourself with the right people and you're already a step ahead of a lot of others. No, it's well said. It's, it's tough to be a kid today with, with all the different uh, you know, social mobile opportunities to not you know live the life that you necessarily want to live or doing the one that you think you're supposed to but there was somebody who said it i I don't know who originally uh coined it but they said show me your five show me your five best friends and i'll show you your future and like it really is like you said having the right people around you because uh yeah a thousand followers isn't like five good friends you know like those five friends are they're going to really impact you and and you can hopefully do the same for them in a positive way Absolutely. That's I say, I literally say that all the time. Surround yourself. Like who are your five best friends? I do that. So I do, I go around the country and I do team building with teams, college level, youth level, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things we talk about is how important relationships are. And I tell the kids, especially the younger kids, I say, put me in a room with your five best friends. And I will tell you with a hundred percent certainty, if you're going to reach your potential or not. And then I stop. And then for effect, I say it again, <laughs> because I think it's that important, you know, it doesn't matter. It is. It's brilliant. <laughs> no, continue to do that. It's the honest to God truth. And um, yeah, it's amazing how other people, especially close to us, have an impact on us, whether we know it or not and choose wisely, you know? <laughs> exactly. Choose wisely. Well, you, uh, you know, you, you were in Finland there and then I feel like we're like the, the Shattuck St. Mary's freaking uh, podcast here now, I think three or four in a row or three <laughs> out of four or something like that from Shattuck, but it is a special place. It's an extremely special place. And you spent a lot of your formative years there. So, um, you know, having the chance to be at Shattuck in, and we were talking about this beforehand, it was kind of when Shattuck was starting to get on the map, starting to become a place that was kind of like a hockey factory um you know what was your experience like there and uh and just tell us about what Shattuck meant to you yeah it's again I I look back and we were lucky our our parents uh my dad went from gosh I don't know if it was the Philadelphia Flyers when we first went to Shattuck to coaching the midget black you know triple a team at Shattuck St. Mary's so it was a it was a family move both times that we went there um but again, it was like a, it was almost just like a playground or like an amusement park for a kid or a hockey player. And again, we were able to look up to guys and, and they would, you know, take us to play roller hockey or we're going golfing or we're, you know, we're going on the ice we're gonna play a little shinny. And, and we just had so many great guys to look up to. And um, again, even hockey aside, the school uh, academically did great things for us. We'd study hall for two hours every night. I remember, you know, having to do more work on top of that because, I mean, they were challenging us across the board, but uh, we went there for hockey, but we left with friendships, relationships, just um, just really great memories. And we still try to go back once a summer for the golf tournament, support the school, support the hockey program. But yeah, we had, we had keys to the weight room. We had keys to the rink. We used to uh, go with the Zamboni driver and put the ice in a couple of days early so we could skate on it. Um, and we were lucky to come up with the, the Murray brothers, the Parisi brothers, uh, Pete Radchuk, who's the director of, uh, scouting for the Winnipeg Jets. Jets. He was, uh, the first, first round draft pick out of there. He was like a big brother to us. 
And so it just kind of, it just had momentum and, um, but yeah, just so many fun memories. You just, we worked so hard, but we, we were part of a culture that, um, Hey, we want to go somewhere in the game and we're around all the other guys who want to do the same thing. And, and that was, that was cool. That was fun to be a hockey nerd there. It was fun to talk about the goals in the morning and, Oh, do you see that move? Or what about that save? And that, that's how we hung out. And it was really fun to be around like-minded people who are driven and, and then to see the success that some of these guys have had in girls, like it's, it's something you're proud of and you hope it continues and you hope it goes in other places too, because again, places like St. Louis and, and these different hotbeds are popping up and it's, it's awfully fun to see that you want a lot of kids to experience something like that, where they feel like they're a part of something, they can come back to it and uh, they're proud of where people are going within it. Uh, you had to say St. Louis, didn't you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Well, that, I mean, that's hilarious. Like you literally were just talking about both of you. You are the five people you surround yourself most with and the list you just named. And, you know, you could see why all those guys come out of there. Everyone's dedicated. Everyone's working hard together. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's excited. Everyone's pushing everyone to be better. You know, and I look back at, at the life side of youth hockey and, you know, I went to school, public school and, and hang out with my school friends at school, but primarily I only hung out with my hockey friends. And for a little bit, I, when I'd go to school, like people would be like, why don't you ever hang out with us? I'm like, well, I'm out of town all the time. I'm always playing. And every year I got older and I look back on that and I'm like, I see where some of those high school kids ended up or what they did. And maybe they didn't make the best decisions. A lot of those kids that I was friends with that were my school friends, my hockey friends, all happy successful hard workers not only in hockey but after their hockey careers most of my best friends all went d1 in hockey most of them played at least some type of pro you know and it's like wow like maybe just being around my hockey friends who were all dedicated like maybe that was a really really good thing for me probably kept me out of trouble too because i can be a little wild at the time so probably (laughs) probably a good thing for me too to be around like-minded people like that and i really do think it shaped me a lot sounds like you had that at Shattuck. So that's really cool. It's fun. And you, you need something like that as a kid, you're going to find, you're going to find something. And if it can be a goal or a team or a community that you're a part of with, you know, this is going to be hard, but there's also potential reward. And whether we win or we lose, like we're going to give our best, but this is going to serve us really well moving forward. And like you said, it, it keeps you away from some other things that, uh, yeah, you can like kind of slip into if you're not, uh, you know, really aware of your surroundings almost. Yeah, for sure. I do want to push back on that just a little bit. I guess it's not really a pushback, Jeff, just kind of like what you were talking about. I consider myself very lucky that I had great friends outside of hockey too. Like I had friends that had different interests, but were also like really good people that kept me on the straight and narrow. Like we wouldn't do stupid things in high school and, and all that kind of stuff. We all kind of, we had this like great group of like probably 10, 12 of us that just got along and hung out. So I like, I caution, I just want to like caution people say that. Cause I can hear like younger kids who are very driven in hockey being like, I should only hang out with hockey people, <laughs> you know, because that's, but I do feel like broadening your horizons with the right people that have different interests can also give you a different kind of like life experience and also be good for your, like your development too. So I guess it's not really a pushback, yeah. just a little asterisk addition to what you're saying. Throw that <laughs> asterisk in there. I agree with it. I mean, I was, I'd say like 97% of my friends throughout from middle school through high school were, were hockey players. And I obviously had a couple other friends that weren't, but the vast majority for me, 
were definitely hockey players, but my friends that weren't, they also, yeah, you're right. Like it brought in some other elements of some other things that I probably wouldn't have done with the hockey group. So I totally agree with that. Let's put that asterisk in there. Don't, don't forget that asterisk. <laughs> There you go. There you go. All right. Well, bringing it back to, to some hockey stuff here, Ben. Um, so you went straight from Shattuck to BC. And so that had to have been a pretty big jump, but also at the same time, you're going to BC and, and just at the time BC was going through when I say tough years, I don't really mean that because what I mean by tough years is they made it to the national championship or the frozen fours and, and all that kind of stuff, but just could never finish the job. And then when you get there, your freshman year, you guys end up winning the national championship. And I was reading about it earlier today as I was preparing for this and three of the teams that you guys beat to win the national championship had previously in the previous five years knocked BC out. So it was like a little redemption tour that you guys had. Um, so with that, like, what was that experience like getting the chance to, you know, be a freshman on that team and learn from some of the guys like the Brian Giantas and some of the other guys you had on that team who are just phenomenal, phenomenal people. We actually had Brian on our podcast uh, a while back. Um, but what was that kind of experience like for you just that first year winning that national championship coming in? And then what was the transition like going from basically midget hockey to, to, to NCAA division one hockey as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the transition. It, uh, again, it was a different era back then. I don't think the North American league was around. I think there might've only been eight or 10 USHL teams and, and we must've played eight or 10, uh, North or sorry, USHL games, my senior year at we were playing junior colleges. We actually had a, like a schedule that wouldn't, that just doesn't exist anymore. So it, it made that jump a half step easier. But the truth of it was, I, I wasn't prepared to play until like the new year. I, I was, uh, in my eyes just, I was very, very disappointed and embarrassed the way I played up to Christmas my first year because I was playing online with Brian Gianta. I was playing with Jeff Giuliano, another you know, rock star human being who's, you know, played 400 games in the NHL. And, and like, I, I wasn't good enough. And like, I could have used a half a year of junior hockey, if I'm being honest, but, um, but no, we, I mean, we, we had, we had great players. Things were in motion there. There was a monkey on their back because like you said, they had been so close and, and they, you know, had their heart broken three straight years. And, but for us to, you know, go in and, and to win a bean pot, to win a, you know, a hockey East, and then, you know, three straight games to beat the teams that knocked them out those three previous years. And uh, to do the last one in, in overtime after we blew a two goal lead with four minutes left. I mean, there's, there's doubt, there's, I mean, there's silence, there's, you know, any other, any, you know, negative thing that you can think of was going through everybody's head and, um, and it's just sometimes to be a part of something where this was meant to happen. And I'm really glad I was able to be a part of that because there are things that are out of your control. And you, and we all sat the, the, the freshman, we all sat in a corner together at the end of the game. I still remember it. We're just exhausted emotionally and said, Hey, we should do this again. This was really fun. And we couldn't make it, you know, it took us three more years to get back to a frozen four and say, Oh, it's not always like this, I guess, you know? So we were, we were fortunate. We learned from good guys when I mean, we still keep in touch with that group and, um, yeah, there was just a, a way that they did things. There was a time to, you know, time to have fun. There was time to work hard. There was a time to win a game when it was tough, but there was an expectation that, that they set that we had to maintain and we did our best to do that and then pass it on to the next group. 
I think that's one of the great things about college hockey. The fact that you're there for most of the people for four years. And, and we used to talk about this at, at Cornell all the time, both when I was a player and as a coach is like, there's really that tradition in trying to leave a place better than where you found it. And it's like, it's such an awesome responsibility to have that. And we would always tell our players, especially our freshmen, like, Hey guys, not for nothing, but you have the expectations of winning a national championship because of all of the players that have come here before you, you have the packed house and stands because of the winning of the players that were here before you. So it's almost like your responsibility as a younger player to give it your all because you want to try to do the same things for the players that are coming up with you beforehand. And I know BC is the same way. I mean, the history and tradition of, of the winning and the players moving on to, to bigger and better things once they're done is, is you know, it's, it's up there with one of the top schools in the country. And so that must have been something that must have been really, you know, be, be proud of. And I know that you just, you know, I know a lot of BC guys and have talked to a lot of BC guys. And I think, you know, for you, everybody talks about how you made that program better on and off the ice. And I just think that that's such a, such an awesome thing. And, you know, I still think the BC program is, is where it is today because of guys like you, because of guys like Gio and, and so many other ones that not only were like, really good hockey players, but they were the good people that were stewards for the program as well. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. That uh, Are you uncomfortable now? <laughs> uh, no, the responsibility is a real thing. And again, I, I was lucky. I, I mean, we had a class, you know, with, with, you know, Ty Hennis and Tony Vos and Brett Peterson, Justin Jama, JD Forrest, guys who are still in pro hockey in one way or another, guys are doing great things. Like it really was the, the group of us that we, we did our best to keep that going. And again, when you turn pro, like it's different, there's different pressure, there's different expectations. But for me, I, it was hard to replicate that responsibility and that love of where you were and that pressure you felt to push it on so someone else can take the mantle. And, and to me, that was only something I could really find in college and at a place like BC where, yeah, you, you, you have that responsibility like at Cornell or Western or other places where like, no, this is on us boys. Like this isn't on anyone else. Like these are our years. This is our dash and we have to make some noise here and we have to keep this thing rolling. So then someone else can do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you this because I always found it interesting. Like, you know, I, I struggled with my pro hockey career because I was so invested in Cornell, like so invested in Cornell. And, and to be honest, like I had players that I coached when I came back to coach there that were really good college players, but I was like, they're not going to like playing pro hockey. Like, it's just, it's different. You know, you're, you're, you're playing for four years with the same group of guys and it's just so everybody's all in it together. Is that something when you kind of went to pro hockey, was that different for you? Like, did you kind of sense a little bit more of that? I don't want to say individuality that pro hockey has versus the whole team culture. Is that something you ever struggled with on, on your journey? Big time. It, it's a business and it, it's a great business because, you know, we get to play hockey, you don't work hockey. So we're actually playing a game, but, but it is a business <laughs> and you know, there's, there's results that need to happen. There's expectations. Um, you love the game. You, you don't love the job. Um, you know how fortunate you are to do it, but, but the grind and the business of it does wear on you pretty quickly. Um, and again, it's hard to find a locker room where, you know, there's different languages going on, you know, guys are traded, guy, you know, things happen quickly when things don't go well, coaches are fired. And, 
Um, we're in college, almost like, you know, midget hockey where the, the, you know, the whatever rosters are locked in. It's like, oh, no, no, this is our team. Like, we're not going to go sign Al Sovection and he's not going to take over. Like, we have to get better. We have to solve the problem. And in pro hockey, things move fast and it's not good or bad, but the law of the jungle comes into play and you need to perform. I don't care what you did last week. You need to perform this week now because we're not going to wait around for you. And um, there's some certain things like that where you really like it, where you want to be judged. You want, if you fail, you want to be told that and you want to be responsible for it. But when things go well, like it's, it, it's a great feeling when, you know, the, it's a crowd and you're traveling and you're playing a ton of games and like, you're feeling good about stuff. Like, <laughs> that's a hard feeling to replicate oh, and then come better. playoff time. There, there's nothing like it. And again, I never played in the NHL, you know, Stanley cup playoffs, but just going on a playoff run, that's something where all the nonsense gets pushed away. And then it gets back to the love of, Hey, game seven, who's going to be the overtime game winner. Who's going to block the shot. Who's going to, you know, take the hit. And, and that's where I think our, the pro game is just heads and tails above anything I'll ever experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I do want to bring up one hockey memory that you probably have that I heard about uh, in the last couple of days, and and that's the the game winning goal against Michigan in your senior year to uh, to get you guys to the Frozen Four. And and I'd love to tell the story and then see how correct I am with, with the story though. So basically, you were injured, like could barely even freaking skate. You know, it was your knee. So I heard one person said knee, one person said cramp. So who knows what it was? But, you know, Jerry goes, hey, you, can you go out for an offensive zone face off and take the face off? And uh, so you go out, you take the face off on one leg, you win the face off, go to the net. And uh, our boy Al Montoya, Jeff, was actually the goalie for Michigan at the time, lets up a rebound and Ben puts it in the, uh, the net in midair. Um, so there's a couple questions that I want to unpack on that. And, and the first one is, um, you know, it's hard to play hurt. Like it's really hard to play hurt. We all do it. Um, it's part of the game. It's part of the beauty of the game. Some people would say, because you just hockey is a different animal when it comes to mental and physical toughness for sure. So what's your mindset like in, uh, in, in going out for that shift, barely be even being able to skate and then executing to be able to score an overtime game winning goal to send your team to the frozen four. And then the other question I had to that is just like, how good did it feel? That must have been unreal, <laughs> especially your senior year. Been incredible. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, again, us all hockey players. The toughest thing about being hurt is the the guilt and shame you have of letting your teammates down. Like that's that's that. It's always stung much deeper than any any injury, um, because you you feel like well, I, I need to be out there supporting. Like I, I'm not I'm not helping. I'm letting the boys down, and that's maybe something unique to our game. Maybe that's in other sports too, you know, physical sports like a rugby or a, I don't know, but that's always, that's always plagued me. Uh, and I'm sure it's plagued you guys in different ways. So yeah, I was just trying to get my leg to, uh, I was cramping up my, I had bust, I had a busted kneecap and my other leg had been the only leg skating for, for two games. And, uh, it just, it just wasn't, I couldn't flex it anymore. And, uh, well, yeah, coach. Yeah. He said, can you go out? I was like, off, like, I can't hurt the team that bad. I might be off right away, but, um, but yeah, I was out there with my brother. Uh, I don't know if Brian Boyle, Brian Boyle might've been out there too, but it's a halfway decent I line right there. The I can't go anywhere else. And a puck 
flopped up. Yeah, Al knocked it up in the air, and it was almost like a ping pong shot in the net. You know, just kind of touched it in, and um, that was fun. Again, we went back to the Frozen Four. It was in Boston. Um, you know, that was a big that was a big deal. My my mom and dad were both at the game. You know, with my dad's coaching, that doesn't happen very often. And I remember asking for them uh, after the game, and they came down, and I I, I like I literally like just it all came out. Like I was just sobbing because I thought the career was over. We didn't make it back. I let the team down. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're the guy that changed that. And it was just, whew. it was just one of those moments where the four of us were just hugging. And it was just like, uh, yeah, it's something that sports, you know, sometimes it's a, they're good tears. Sometimes they're, you know, tears of, oh my gosh, my career's over. Or, oh my gosh, the season's over, you know? But I, I just remember how emotional that moment was. And I didn't know it until it happened. And it just, I was just so happy for all of us that we could be there together, that the boys were going back to Boston for the frozen four. And um, it was special. It just happened. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a special moment. Very cool. You can tell, you can tell it's special. Let me ask you this too, because you obviously had a, a dad and a very tight knit family and a dad that had a job that, you know, wasn't able to be around to watch a play a whole heck of a lot at certain times during your career. And I remember we were doing a team building thing at Cornell and one of the players that I coached, uh, his dad was an AHL head coach as well. And in our team building thing, we were talking about people that were really influential in our lives and some of our proudest moments and stuff. And, uh, and he had said like in my, in his life, one of the most proud moments he had was when his dad came and surprised him to come watch him play. Cause he can only watch him play maybe twice a year. And yeah. so he's skating around in warmups and he sees his dad in the corner and, and like kind of wide eyed, like, Oh my God, my dad came here to play. You know, what was that experience like for you? I mean, you and your brother, um, you know, having your dad very influential in your life, not just from a life standpoint, but also a hockey standpoint, I'm sure. Um, and just having that support system to have him around and how cool was it when he was able to come and watch you play? It was special. It was like Christmas, if I'm being honest, because I mean, he's, he's a workaholic. He, he loves the game. He loves coaching. He's been doing it for almost 35 years and, and there's sacrifices to anything, but it, it's a bummer that his season's the same as our season every single year. So if he can make it out, you know, that was always just a treat where we could have dinner the night before and we could, you know, make a, make something special out of it. And so just to, yeah, just to know he was there. And again, the only two things he wanted from me and my brother was, you know, did you work your hardest and did you have fun? Those are the only questions that he ever asked us. Um, if we asked him something and opened the door, then we'd have a dialogue. But uh, those two things were the only things he wanted for us, you know, for the, from the game. Um, and just to see that, you know, one, we were working as hard as anyone on the ice and two, like, we really loved what we were doing. We were having fun as, as hard as the game is. We, we were enjoying ourselves out there. And um, yeah, I just want to make him proud, both him and my mom. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Um, well, you, you, uh, you ended your career at BC and then went off to play pro hockey. And one of the things I actually wanted to ask you is you, you dealt with a rash of injuries and you actually came back to BC as a volunteer one year and, uh, and got to work. And, and I think you were coaching even some of the guys that you had played with uh, in, in previous years. And, and Chris Collins, who's a friend of Jeff and I's, uh, you know, was talking to him earlier today. And, and he said that you were a huge influence on him uh, just from a positive standpoint 
like helped him get on the straight and narrow and get on the right direction. Obviously that year he was a Hobie Baker hat trick finalist and had an incredible year that set up his pro career for the rest of his life. Um, what was that like for you going back and coaching at BC, getting to see the inner workings of what happens behind the scenes? And maybe you'd seen that before with your dad as a coach at a higher level, but when you're actually in it, actually being called, maybe you weren't being called coach, but you were a part of the coaching staff. Um, what did you learn through that experience getting to go back and, and coach with the guys that you had played for? Well, it was fun. Like it, I was really, I rehabbed all morning, uh, just trying to take care of my knee and, and get it to a reasonable spot. And yeah, you rehab, you work out, you skate, and then you're done by 12 o'clock and you're just kind of like, thank God they were there. Like again, Craig Patrick was the GM in Pittsburgh at the time. He let me go and thank goodness. Cause it was just a very long and lonely process trying to get that, trying to get my body to work again. But yeah, I was just a fly on the wall. Like I could move between the coaches and the players and really, you know, if someone asked, I would, you know, try to share or help or if someone wanted to go skate, I'd hop on the ice. And um, so it was fun to almost be like a conduit just to be non-threatening, but just to learn from the boys, to learn from the coaches and kind of sit back and, just try to, you know, help out in any way possible. And uh, yeah, Nate Gerby was a freshman that year. He's a 17 year old freshman and gosh, yeah, Chris and Bry boy. I mean, they, they had, uh, they had a really nice team that year. So that that's always fun to win too, you know, but, uh, but no, just to be around and just to see, you know, how coach York goes about his business, his habits, the way he deals with people, the way he delegates and, and, and just how he makes people feel good about themselves. You know, it was really fun to go back and see that from a coaching aspect that that's got to be one of his top three gifts is he, he lets you do your thing and he makes you feel really good about you. And uh, that hasn't been lost on me uh, ever since. I think that's really cool. And I think that's a good lesson for <clears throat> any of the players listening to like you be a good person, you work your hardest opportunities. Uh, they the doors get open because of the things you do when you're on teams, not even trying for that to happen, but like, that's not an opportunity you get if you aren't the person that you were when you were there, you know, and I think players sometimes like we're talking about the pro game and sometimes it gets a little selfish because it is a business. And, and I'm seeing that even younger now players are starting to get a little bit more selfish. And I think it's because of social media and rankings and this and that. And, you know, the, the best players are usually the ones who care about the team, who care about each other. And those are the guys who wind up getting opportunities or more opportunities in hockey and life outside of hockey. So, like, I really hope that the players and the coaches listening to this are pushing that agenda. Be a good teammate. Be a good, be a good person. Be there for the boys. Be there for the coaches. Because you never know when, when that might come back and that good karma comes back to you. No, it's a great point. And again, it's me and my brother, we always laugh that, you know, hockey would be such a better game if we all just made the same salary. If we're all like the Navy SEALs where we just get paid one flat sum, like, yeah, he's really good and I struggle with this, but I can help him there. Then all of a sudden we're pulling on the same rope and there isn't this need to try to like one up him or, you know, try to outdo, you know, this guy. And, um, but anyway, it, it is tough. I, I, I think you can have both. I, I think, if your foundation is to be a good teammate and to be part of a, a group moving forward, you can still work on your game. You can still, you know, improve your skills and try to raise your level while still, you know, you know, selflessly serving to the team. And so it's a tough balance. And again, I, I don't envy kids like they're, 
they, they have issues that we never had growing up and like it makes things very, very difficult and um, and they shouldn't be in some of those situations to have to make, you know, decisions on teams, agents, advisors, whatever that might be like that. That's tough. That's not fair. For sure. That's, it's interesting that you said that about the, the salary thing. I mean, I don't think that, that works, especially in the U.S., but like to a, a lesser degree, you look at a team like Pittsburgh where like Crosby's taking less money than he's worth and, you know, other guys are taking less money than they're worth. And then all of a sudden they're winning championships. Like obviously that affects the culture in the room in such a positive light when Sidney Crosby, you know, I say only, but only takes 8.777 instead of like whatever he could have gotten, which was quite a bit more. I mean, if you're in that room and then you're getting a little bit more money because he's doing that, well, now I'm going to block that shot because Sid gave me a, an extra 500 grand, you know? So yeah, that's so true. That's really cool. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Ben, I, um, I got to ask you because, you know, your career, I mean, you talk about the ups and downs and, and I feel like everybody who I've spoken to about your career has talked about what could have been like, the injuries that you had um, that, that didn't allow you to play uh, at your highest level. And we already talked about that. So I don't want to belager it, but um, I wanted to know about because of the injuries and because of, of all the crap, like the one year that you were in Finland and you broke the scoring record for playoffs. And we had talked about it a little bit earlier about how there's times when, when like when you're going, and you, you feel it and, and you just, you, you can't, it's almost like you can't go wrong. I think every hockey player that has played at the higher levels can know what we're talking about in some capacity where it just feels like everything's going in, your legs feel good every night. And, and it's just like such an amazing feeling. So, you know, having gone through a lot of the ups and downs with your injuries and then being able to accomplish something like that with that year and then going on that playoff run, you know, what did that mean to you? And, and, and how cool was that for, for your career? Yeah, it's, it was special. I, I missed two plus years trying to, again, rehab a, you know, a knee that wasn't working. And you think the dream's over, you think the career's over and it's time to move on. And not that that's good or bad, but it stings a little bit. You're yeah. not quite settled. So the fact that I had a chance to go back and play and someone took a chance on me uh, was special. But, you know, as far as, you know, the record, I, I, I mean... The last 10 games, I probably had three or four points. And I remember calling my dad before playoffs to dad, nothing's going in. Like, this is brutal. Like we're buzzing, we're creating, it's this and that. Like, I can't believe we're going into playoffs like this. Like this is like, this is horrible, but it's just like the law of averages are just like scoring, like life. Like it just, it goes up and down and, and you just want to minimize the lows so you can ride out whatever's going to happen as much as possible. And then the playoffs started. And like you said, everything you touch, just it's gold. Everything goes in, everything is magic and you can't explain it. You just try to like ride the wave and like not stop it basically. But again, it was just one of those life experiences or experiences as an athlete where I have absolutely no idea what happened. Um, but I just tried to hold on to that sweet spot as long as I could. And, and uh, again, just another special moment because, you know, the, the lows are, <laughs> the lows are where you learn more, but it's also kind of nice when things are going your way and you're just rolling because <laughs> uh, people, yeah, yeah. People like that too. So it was special. It was a neat thing. And 
you know, hopefully the line A's and the Ahus and all the kids leave when they're 17. So they don't touch that for a couple more years. But <laughs> Is it still standing? <laughs> I think it is. Nice. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's great. I hope some, I hope some young kid takes it down, you know, like that's, what's fun about it. It's like, it, like all records, like they're meant to just kind of like get toppled over, but there was a special memory for the moment, you know? That's awesome. That's so cool. And how did you enjoy like your experience going back to Finland, having spent a year there as uh, as a younger kid and getting acclimated to the culture a little bit and then, uh, and then going back, like, was that a pretty fun experience for you to be able to do that? It was awesome. I, I still had friends on my youth team, friends on my brother's youth team that were playing pro at the time. Um, and Jeff, you know, as well, playing overseas, you kind of develop a click with the other imports, the other North American guys and, so I, I had buddies throughout Finland and uh, I mean, we had really good teams. We went to the finals once we, we lost in the semis twice, um, but we were there, you know, like we were knocking on the door and to me, it's just really fun to be in a locker room where everybody cares so much. And I, I had that experience on two of those years where uh, it, it was just fun. You miss that. It's hard to even replicate that now that we're not playing anymore but to be in a room where you look around, it's like, I don't know if we're better than the other team, but there's no way we're losing this game because guys care so much. And uh, that was fun. That was special. I, uh, I still crave that feeling. And uh, whoever I'm coaching, wherever I'm at, I hope I'm able to just, you know, put some of that magic into the room because that's, that's why teams win often. Uh, and that's the difference. And I love that. I, I absolutely love it. How were the fans in Finland? Because I didn't get to play in Finland, but, uh, you know, I played in a lot of other places over in Europe, and the fans were just amazing. They, they love it. They're, they're, you know, the Finns are very, you know, straight, again, except for Tomi Niemela. They're very, you know, <laughs> they're quiet. You, you don't get a good read on them. So, you know, when they're in the stands, the place will be sold out, but 90% will just be kind of watching, and they'll know everything that's going on, but they won't be very loud. And then you have the fan section with the drums, but... Again, Sweden, is they're more expressive. You get down to Central Europe, they got the flares. They're throwing pennies at you in Switzerland. Like, <laughs> you really know, like, you're, you know. But the Finns, they, they know it. They watch it. And they, you know, after they get a couple, uh, yeah, adult beverages in them, too, they, they let you know how they feel. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, a little quieter, a little more reserved than, like, the normal, like, European crowd. But, but they show up. That's that's hilarious. That's uh, And uh, for all the listeners here, if you haven't listened to t- t- Tommy, I say it wrong. I say Tommy, but if you haven't listened to Tommy's podcast that we did with him, what was that like three, four months ago, Vex? That's actually our most downloaded episode that we've had. And talks not about surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It talks awesome. about the Finnish development system and and in his personality. I mean, he's just so well spoken and so energetic, and it was awesome. But there actually is one question that I have to ask you about um, about your time in Finland, and this is actually again coming from Chris Collins talking to him today. And uh, I know how much of a mentor that you were to him and uh, invited him over because he was playing in Finland at the time and uh, struggling a little bit with, with playing over there, being over there for the first time. And so you invited him over for dinner and stuff a couple of times. And he, he told me that one of the things that really struck me about going over to your house is you had a sign on your, on your wall and it said, live every day like an NHL player. 
you know, and uh, at the time that obviously that's the dream. Everybody wants to play in the NHL. Did that have something to do with it's just like, I'm going to live every day. Like I'm going to play in the NHL and prepare my, you know, prepare myself like I'm playing in the best league in the world. Cause I think that could be an awesome kind of learning tool for any kid. Like it's kind of like dress for the job that you want and <laughs> not the job that you have kind of thing, but also like what went into that? Like to you, what does it mean to live like an NHL player and the things that you would do on a day-to-day basis? Well, again, as people are listening, I think something that might tie really well in is uh, the book Legacy by, uh, I think it's Kerr, maybe? James Kerr, and unbelievable book. Yeah. Like, like just, I mean, to me, that, that almost like exemplifies that, that one statement where you, you need to live out the behaviors of who you aspire to be. Like it, nothing's going to be given to you. And so you need to start having small victories in your day, you need to start viewing yourself in a certain way, behaving a certain way, talking to yourself a certain way. And again, for me, the goal always was to play in the NHL. And part of me is glad that I got my last concussion when I was 30, because um, I was going to quit anyway, because once you hit a certain spot, it's just like, well, I I don't want to play. I wanted to play in the NHL. And I guess that's not going to happen now. So, but that was always just the standard, you know, the way you practice, the way you prepare, the way you treat people. And um, it was just always the goal. And like, it's nice to have one mantra or one thing in your head of that's your driving force. And again, it can change as you get older, you know, if you're coaching or if you have a business or whatever, like I'm going to be this guy and I might not be, but I'm going to do everything I can to do my best to do that. And, and I remember talking with my brother when he was in Detroit with, you know, gosh, Lidstrom, Datsuk, Zetterberg, and, you know, I would just say, Hey, what are they doing? Like, what are, what are you guys doing after practice? Like, what are they? And he's like, you know, he's like, we're doing this and that. He's like, Benny, he's like, I don't think I'm ever going to be as good as them. I was like, no, I don't think you are Patrick. Like, I don't think you're even <laughs> close to them, but he's like, you know what I can do? He's like, I can work just as hard as them. I said, maybe that's what this whole thing's about. You know, it's like, you just want to see how hard you, how high you can take it, how much you can push it, but it's your behaviors. It's your thoughts. And, uh, and so that was his goal. He wanted to, he wanted to train as hard as Datsuk and Zetterberg because he wanted to be the best NHLer he could be. And I want to do the same thing in my own way of, Hey, what are the habits that I can choose on a daily basis that are giving me the best chance and to get myself to view myself as an NHL player? Cause that's what I aspire to do. So cool. So inspiring, man. And, uh, I got to ask, you know, we talked a little bit about your dad and your mom and how big of an influence they were, but you, know, you and your brother had the same dream and, uh, you got the chance to play with him even at Boston college. That must've been incredible. Um, and then as you guys were both going through your, your pro journeys, the, the highs and the lows and everything like that, how, how great was it to have his support and, and to have somebody like that, you know, that's blood, um, going through all those things together. Was it just uh, incredible to have him as a sounding board? And for him, I'm sure the same to you. Yeah, it's just awesome. It's, it really is my dad, my brother and myself. We, you know, you get the three-way calls and it's just funny. I mean, with the game, you get knocked down often and, you know, one guy's injured, my team won, dad seems lost. So let's talk about it, you know, cause everyone's going to be at a different level of, Hey, things are great. Or it's like, Oh, like, our team's in one right now. Like this isn't good, you know? And so, um, but it's just fun. It's fun to go through the struggle. It's uh, to share that with people who know exactly what you're going through and to be able to be very honest and, and vent, you know, we talk about the people around you that you can just be yourself. You can just uh, lean on them uh, and they can lean on you. So 
we were very fortunate because uh yeah the highs are high and the lows are low and like you need people around you because it is a great game but it, it uh it's also very vicious and ruthless as well and um but we could share that stuff i mean i mean my brother's broken his jaw his back his concussions he had to retire because of post-viral syndrome that he had in anaheim i mean if this kid ever wrote a book on on hockey i, I asked him to title. i said so you want to be a hockey player dot 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 <laughs> and just like said, this is this is what you have to do and this is what you know this is what might happen to you if you make it and if you you know go after your dreams so no it's fun to share that stuff and, and just uh, to be open and uh yeah just to be completely raw and vulnerable because you need those people um even when times are good you want to share it with somebody who really knows you who really cares and um, so yeah, we were, we were fortunate to all go through the crazy journey together. It's definitely a crazy journey from, from youth hockey all the way to wherever you play your last game and something that I've been coaching for two years now. <clears throat> and, uh, kids always ask me like, how do I get myself out of a funk? And you just said, you know, the highs are high and the lows are low. How do you stay even keel or how do you, how did you or your brother pull yourself out of those lows? I mean, that's a great question. And I mean, I, I was coaching last year at the U18 level and, you know, be at the collegiate level and it's the same problem at every level, which is amazing. Like, it's not like once you get to a certain point, you're immune to it. Um, a real interesting book again for, for, you know, people are looking for a strange read is uh, what you say when you talk to yourself. And it was just the whole concept of the amount of thoughts that we have running through our brain the same, you know, same thoughts that probably, you know, 95% ran through our brain the day before. And if you're not actually conscious of it, like you talk yourself out of things. Like when you got a kid who's not scoring, like, oh, I always miss the net on a breakaway or like, oh, I never score any goals. And it's amazing the language that you use, you know, outwardly and inwardly, how that digs you even deeper. And that to me is one of the most important things where, again, kids are looking for confidence. It's like, start with yourself. Start building some self-confidence and like, hey, I missed it this time, but I'm going to come back and be better next time. And, and you start to like do a new reel of, of what you can do, who you are. And to me, like that's the, that's the foundation point is like check yourself, talk like what are you saying and, and start taking control of that because then you can start building your, you know, your behaviors, your actions, and then maybe you might get some outcomes or you might get out of that hole a little bit quicker. So easier said than done, but Again, so much of our game, so much of life is in between your ears anyway, and you have to start there, I think. Jeff. That's, that's oh, amazing. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's Dude, like... <laughs> I, I, That's everything I'm about, like at least five times a day throughout, throughout however many sessions I have. In the gym even, a guy will, you know, oh, I can't score. And I immediately say, stop, stop. No negative self-talk. I don't care if you're joking. Like I'm self-deprecating on this podcast sometimes, but – when I played, I literally, I would not talk bad about myself. Like I had enough bad things going on, which I, you know, I just did it again, but you know, like it, it matters. And then it plays a role in your head. Even if you're joking, Oh man, I can never score. Well, then you're just putting that out in the universe. Like that's 100%. the energy you're attracting. Like yeah. you constantly and that. And, <clears throat> and I and, psychologist, like when that happens, like think of a stop sign, think of a stop sign. I would yell stop in my head. And then I would go back to thinking positively. I can score. I would write down over and over. I must have 
Like if somebody saw my notebooks when I was a kid, they would think that I'm a psychopath because I would write over and over and over while I was in school. I will score tonight. I will score tonight. I am a good hockey player. Just like hundreds of times on game day. And it, like when I started doing that, I started scoring more. I started playing better. Whatever I was writing down over and over and over, I started to do more. Like it was crazy how well it worked. And now like all these people talk about, you know, books where they're saying the same thing. And it's like, I, I truly and honestly and 100% believe it. And the goal is not to, to, to think that you saying that will make you Alex Ovechkin. Doing that will not make you Sidney Crosby, but it will help you to be the best you that you can be like you were talking about earlier. And that should be the goal of youth sports. And as you move on, be the best you you can be and doing those little things. It all, like you said, it all starts between the ears and the body will go where the mind takes it, but the body will go to a bad place. If you're constantly talking badly about yourself. So I am so happy you said that. And that's a book that I definitely want to read. Yeah. It's enjoy. Like, you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, what's the saying, you know, whether you, if you say you can or you can't, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Ben, one of the books that I read, I'm, I'm interested to see if it was in the book that you read too. It was on, some of the stuff that we're talking about and basically like if you're talking to yourself in a certain way, your brain interprets it like anybody else would be talking to you as well. So what I talk about to the kids is like, okay, if I come back to the bench and I tell myself, Oh, you suck, which I did plenty of times in my career, it would be the same thing as one of your friends saying, Hey, you know what? You suck in the way that your brain and body chemistry interprets what you're, what you're saying to yourself and so like, I wish I would have learned that while I was playing and not after I was playing. Um, but does that, does that make sense to you? Like, have you ever heard anything like that? I mean, I, when I, when I read that or heard it, I can't even remember where I saw it, heard it, read it, whatever. But I was like, man, that makes a whole lot of sense. And damn, I wish I would have learned that when I was a player, because I was very hard on myself. Like I was really hard on myself. I was an apologist. So if I did, if I made a mistake, I would come back to the bench, I would scold myself first, and then I would apologize to my line mates for making a stupid mistake. And that helped. Now that I look back at it now, like you think you're being a good teammate by doing that, but you're not because now you're not bringing your best self to your line, to your team, whatever it may be. So in trying not to be selfish, you're actually being, I don't want to say being selfish, but you're not bringing your best self. So I want to like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, I don't know the science behind it, but it seems like it all lines up. And, and again, I, I think that's where, you know, as coaches and mentors, you know, we get to catch that stuff. And I remember grabbing a kid, not grabbing him, but like, you know, he dropped his stick after, you know, he had breakaway in practice. Oh, I'm never going to score again. And I remember grabbing him. I said, if you ever talk to like, you, if you ever say that again out loud and drop your stick, we don't score, you're done. Not only for today, forever. Like, I, I don't ever want to hear you speak like that to yourself. That's not who you are. And, you know, and then there, the tears start. I'm so sorry, coach. Like, no, you just need to stop that right now. That's your responsibility. And I'm the one who's here to make sure it stops. And, and I think those little moments, you know, when you just get like, you, you change something in them. It's like, no, no, don't apologize. You just reset and you go out and do better next time. I don't, I don't care if you're sorry. You need to go and be better. So go do it because I believe in you. Oh, okay. You know, and, and I think that's our responsibility is working with young kids. And again, the, the, the confidence is so fragile and the talk is so horrible that they don't see themselves as they should, you know, they don't have their chests out and their shoulders back. And I felt like that was one of my responsibilities with the kids I work with is like, 
we're going to work hard and, and you're going to suffer a little bit, but you're going to feel really good about this. You're going to know you've earned something to go. You've earned the right to go out and, you know, try to take that out, you know, take that win or earn the opportunity to have success. And so, um, no, again, sorry, long answer, but it makes perfect sense. And it's, it's where it starts and ends for me, truly. Well, I do have to say that the kids that you have coached and will coach in, in the future are very, very lucky. And, and I did want to ask you before we let you go here, Ben, you know, you still are involved in the game. You're working at Miami of Ohio for a little bit, working with Columbus uh, with their youth program and stuff. And and uh, just wanted to ask you how excited you are about your journey to come, because I know how passionate you are about the game. I know how much you study the game. I know how much you're still involved. Again, I feel like everybody that I talk to knows you and has incredible things to say about you so you know what what excites you about the future of you know where you hope your your journey is going to land you and and uh just talk to us a little bit about just future what you're what you're looking to do yeah i i'm i'm trying to get in the pro game i uh you know it's been eight years since i was done playing i i've tried you know some college routes some youth routes and i i would love to get back in the pro game and see if you know you can have an impact there if you can work with you know, budding prospects or, you know, NHL guys trying to squeeze everything you can out of them. I'm, I'm interested in that challenge and, and not even just the pro game, but I, I just think we have so far to go in player development. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with how people learn what's what, you know, motor learning is and skill acquisition and how people make decisions. And I think in some other sports, you know, it's say uh, you know, European soccer, Aussie rules, football, like they're a little further ahead than we are right now. And I think there's some really, really neat things to learn. And um, I, in my opinion, I think if the, the team or the organization who can develop the best has the best chance to win and like win year after year, because in the salary cap era, it's, it's tough to win. Everyone's looking for better players, looking for goal scores, looking for this. What if we were better coaches? What if we could actually develop them to actually turn into that? Um, I, it's, it'll be a black hole, but again, it's fun to have these conversations. It's fun to work at different age groups to see where the problem is and where to start, you know, starting to create, uh, you know, some good things, some good habits and whatever, you know, players you're working with. But I'd love to be player development at the pro level and keep on refining what we do and, and really spend time in making players better in the off season and during the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and player development, it's, it's funny. You ask 10 different people what player development is, you'll, you'll get 10 different answers. And, and I think that's the beauty of it. You talk about the challenge of it is it's such a broad thing, but I, I totally agree with you. If you can, you know, get the right people on the bus. And then most importantly, because a lot of got what people don't like understand and, and realize is that, you know, when you get drafted, you're probably not going to play a professional game for another three, four years, whether you're playing junior hockey or, or college hockey. So how can we, you know, and, and even for pro teams, you don't have those kids for three or four years, <laughs> you know? So well, there's so many different intricacies to, to how to do it. And, and uh, that's why it's, and, and for you, I mean, someone that, that likes challenges, it's got to be something that's very, very, very exciting. huh? That'll be awesome. I mean, you're taking science, you're taking hockey, you're taking, you know, watching the game to see where it's go. You're learning from players and coaches. And, and then at the end of the day, you're trying to create a relationship with an athlete so you can influence what they do, how they do it, skills that you try to, you know, build in their repertoire to solve problems on the ice and use whatever skills or talents they have to serve the team. Uh, 
again, it's going to be a black hole, but I don't know what else I'd rather be doing. To be honest. <laughs> it's true. And it's funny. Like when we talked the other day too, Ben, and Vex, you would have loved the conversation because when we were talking, we were talking about player development, but very little of our conversation was about the actual hockey side of, of hockey player development. And that's, that's one of the things that's really cool about it too. And you mentioned it even like how, how do kids learn the best? And I feel like a lot of the people that we've had on the podcast and people that we've talked to, they really value the other side of development, not just, you know, how can we make them a better skater? How can we make them a better um, puck handler and all that kind of stuff. But like, just it's, it's about getting the most out of what you have as, as a player. And if you can, focus on like the holistic whole person i mean that's you're far ahead of the game and it was really cool talking to you about that we might have to get you on the podcast again we're gonna get a lot of emails and and messages from people being like well we can't just end it now you have to have them talk about player development what the hell's going on (laughs) so maybe we'll have to have you back on for a second conversation (laughs) oh that's awesome no i appreciate you guys taking the time man this is it's fun to chat man and we we have such a great game and there's great people in the game and yeah we're lucky i think we're all really fortunate Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day too, to, to do this with us and um, best of luck with, with your next step on your journey. Uh, you know, we, we think you're going to do incredible things and we're really looking forward to, uh, to watching that. And uh, if there's anything that we can do to help, just let us know. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah.